Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Friends, let's take our Bibles together and turn to the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in Hebrews 10, verse 23. Hebrews 10, 23. And in Hebrews 10, 23, these are the words that will guide our thoughts and our study today. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The reading of the sacred word. May God now add a blessing to the hearing and to the doing of it. Let's pray together. God, while every hour of every other day may be crammed with thought and activity and busyness and responsibility, save us this moment from the distractions that keep us from you. Help us in the very core of who we are as your worshipers to to create a space in our hearts to welcome you, to see you, to hear you, to be transformed by you. This is our prayer. Amen. So these many weeks now, six, including today, we've been in a study called Be the Body. And all through these past six weeks, we have been pursuing one central truth. We've been guided by a central truth, and you heard it in the video that we just played a moment ago, that the church is intended to be the visible presence of the risen Christ in this world. You and I who gather here on a week-to-week basis, we recognize that he is alive. We recognize that the core of our faith is this confession, this belief that Jesus Christ is alive and lives in you and in me and and lives among us in a way that gives life-giving power to us. But if if anybody beyond us... (laughs) If anybody beyond the church is to know this good news and, and, and experience the transformation that comes from this good news, it can only happen if they see the evidence of his aliveness in our lives. They won't believe his resurrection by our words only. 
But if they can see the evidence that he still is alive in the way that we speak to one another and in the way that we serve one another, in the way that we humble ourselves before each other and and welcome the outcast and lift up those who've been knocked down, if they can see the evidence that Jesus is present in our lives, they might believe. And this has been our challenge these six weeks as we've asked ourselves, what does it take to shape that body, to develop that body, to nurture the body of Christ so that in this world that is so desperate for the love of God, we are able to display, to demonstrate, to extend the love of God through our hands and feet, to our, our words, through our presence. We've been talking about that for now six weeks, and along the way, we've tried to identify some of the, the challenges that the church of this current era faces when it comes to truly being the presence, the body of Christ in a world that is ever-changing, always changing. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you some information, some data from surveys and polls and research that is really quite stunning. And if you haven't seen that sermon, I really encourage you to go online and watch it, not for the sake of the sermon, but for the sake of the awareness of what we're talking about Namely, we talked about the challenge that the church has in reaching a group referred to as the nuns. The nuns, a growing group of Americans, 25% of the population, who when asked, hey, what, what religious group do you affiliate with? Their answer is none. It's the fastest growing and now the largest subgroup of religious people in America are those who are unaffiliated. And so in that sermon and in the sermons that will last beyond this series, you and I will continue to ask ourselves the tough questions. What must the church do to learn and seek to understand where they're coming from so that we can humble ourselves and sensitively reach out to them in a way that transports truth to them in a way that they understand and are, are, are welcoming of? So we're going to continue with that, but today I want to bring up another challenge. Another challenge, and it's not really a challenge, an issue that we face among the unaffiliated. It's an issue that we face among the affiliated, and that's you and me. Those who are in this room and those who are in rooms like this all over the world, those who are religious, those who have said, yes, I'm in, there is one common challenge that we face, and it's a rising tide of challenge Every group that studies us, whether it's Gallup or the Pew Research Group or Barna or the religious um, or the public religious uh, research institute, whatever the group is, credible, trustworthy groups that study our religious trends, they all agree that across the nation, in every major denomination and in denominations that are not denominations, <laughs> there is one common theme. Church attendance is down. I mean, spiking down, spiraling down. In fact, a study that has been going on since the 1980s traces our religious behavior. In the 1990s, it was true that 40% of Americans claimed that they attended church on a regular basis. And when asked, hey, are you a regular attender? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in church. Uh, Are you committed to your church? you love your church? Of course I do, yeah. How often do you go? I go all the time. I'm a regular attender. 40% of the country. Well, that, that number seemed a little high. So they continued to do further research, and they asked different kinds of questions, like, uh, 
were you in church last Sunday? <laughs> and the answers changed. Turned out hmm, that it was more like 17.7% who attended church on a regular week-by-week basis. It's, it's not a surprise, really. It's a dynamic that we refer to as the halo effect. When asked about your religious behavior, you tend to report better behavior than you actually give. I mean, it's just a fact. That's what we do. We, we claim to behave better than we do. It's just how, that's how we're wired, I guess. The fact is, by the year 2050, by the year 2050, if trends don't change, it could be that just barely above 11% of the American population attends church on a weekly basis. 11. Now, that is a significant, palpable shift. And along the way, we could talk about a dozen reasons why the shift in attendance is underway. But it's in every denomination and non-denomination. It's traced in, in both small and large churches all across America. And we could list a dozen contributing factors. But I want to suggest for today's purposes that there is one central factor, one central component to understanding why attendance has changed and shifted in the church in America. And it's one word. Wait for it. Frequency. Frequency. Now, you probably thought I would say something like sin or commitment or something, and all those things are true, but I want to hammer down on one true factor when it comes to why attendance has shifted. Frequency. We have changed in the number of times we go to church on a regular basis throughout the course of a month. There's been a shift in the frequency with which we attend worship services. In the 1990s, for example, if you were to stop somebody on the street and say, hey, are you a church member? Yeah, of course I am. Do you love your church? Love it. Do you go regularly? Yes. The answer when asked, well, how often do you go would be three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and, you know, if you're involved in any other kind of committee or club or, or ministry, it could be any number of other days through the night. But in the 1990s, three times a week, a decade ago, if you were to ask the same kind of person on the street, are, are you a church member? Yes, I am. Do you love your church? Yes, I'm committed. I, I, I'm frequent. I, I attend regularly. Well, how often is that? The answer shifted to three times a month. Just a decade ago. Today, if you were to ask somebody on the street, hey, are you a church member? Yeah, where do you go? I go down to JCBC, love JCBC. I'm all about JCBC, love it. That's my church. I go there all the time. Really, how often do you go? Nationally speaking, the average for regular attender is one time every four to six weeks. I really want that to absorb into the soil for just a moment. One time every four to six weeks. Now, that is a significant shift. Let's see if I can paint the picture a little bit more colorfully about the implications that it has that in the course of 20 years, we have shifted from three times a week to one time every four to six weeks. Now, on any given Sunday in this room, let's say we may have 1,000 people. Some days we have more than 1,000. Some days we have less than 1,000 uh, on campus. This includes the children and the workers who are on campus as well. Let's round and say there's 1,000 people. Well, last week, let's say the same thing. We had 1,000 people on campus. 
I'm going to ask you a question in just a moment, and I don't want you to be shy in answering it. In fact, the, the question is not meant to condemn. It's not meant to judge you or make any commentary whatsoever on you or your rhythm or your life, but I simply want to know. For whatever reason, and it could be a great reason, we're going to assume that it was a great reason. By a show of hands, how many people just happened to not be here last week? Raise your hand. Nice and tall. Okay. Hold them up for a minute because I want people to see. The sheer number, it's about, it's about the same in the balcony as it is below. Okay, you can put your hands down. I just point that out to make this point. Next week, if I ask that same question, how many of you weren't here? I'm sure I'd get the same kind of answer, which means that if we have 1,000 people on any given Sunday, the next Sunday, that 1,000 people would be made up of a, an assembly of different persons. And the next Sunday, it would be a different combination of 1,000 people, as many as two, three, four, five Sundays worth, which means after about four, five Sundays, it's possible that we might welcome and receive and worship alongside 15, 1,600 or so unique worshipers who if you stopped them and said, hey, you go to church? Mm-hmm. Where do you go? JCBC. You love your church? Yeah, I love my church. I dig it there. It's wonderful. I love it. And you go regularly? Absolutely. I go as often as I possibly can. I go at least once a month. And, there, and that's no judgment. I'm, I'm pointing out the fact that that means we have shifted The frequency with which we attend church has shifted, making any number of bodies in the same room at the same time a unique and ever-moving target for us, right? If you want to flip it the other way, think about it this way. Let's say 1,500 of us uh, attend worship every week. And so every week, all 1,500, we are here every Sunday. We've committed to come every Sunday. But what if half of those 1,500... Say, yes, I'll be here every Sunday, four Sundays a month. But the other half, the other 750, say, I'm going to take one Sunday off, just one, and I'll go to three out of the four Sundays. Then the average attendance has already slipped from 1,500 to 1,300 if half of the people just choose one Sunday to take off. So you see what a moving target it is. You see how the frequency with which we attend church has so radically shifted that we're still trying to understand what it means and where it's coming from. And I believe that there are some factors to help us understand. I want us to look at a few of those factors. We're going to call them frequency factors. I made that up myself. Just <laughs> And these are simple factors that shape. Now, we could talk about a dozen factors because really there are probably two dozen reasons why frequency has changed in church attendance and behavior. I mean, we could, if we wanted to, talk about affluence. I read one article, it was provocative, about how affluence affects church attendance because the more resources one has, the more options one has. And if you have the option to travel and to move and to go and to, uh, and to travel, you, you will and should if you have more than one residence well you're going to spend some time in both residence you will and you should but it's a factor that changes the week-to-week presence of who's on campus it's a factor in frequency 
Another factor we could talk about is blended families. The experience of blended families. It could be that you share custody. That means it might be that every other weekend you have the kids. And if you have the kids every other weekend, it may be that that's all they can come to church. Or it may be that if you only have them every other weekend, you choose Sunday mornings to sleep in your PJs and have breakfast and catch up with each other. It's, it's just a fact. And it's a factor that shapes the frequency of church. We could talk about our vocations because so many of you, even in this room, in order to make a living, in order to make ends meet, you have to travel and you do so much traveling on the road and in the air that it simply means you cannot physically be there and here at the same time. And that's on the rise. And there are shaping factors that have shifted the frequency with which we attend church. But I want to hammer down on just two or three and then suggest something we can do about it. One of the factors that I think is the most influential factor in how often we're going to church, how often we're coming to worship, is what I'm going to call commitment crisis. The second is blender behavior. And the third is online options. First, a commitment crisis. Now, when I say there's a commitment crisis in the church, that's not nearly as judgy as it sounds. It's not nearly as condemning as it sounds. Let me unpack it a minute. Now, on the one hand, yeah, there are some sisters and brothers in the faith who simply have not prioritized going to church. And they've not come to the place where they recognize that attending a gathering of believers shapes the spiritual formation of, of their family. And deserves a high priority in the calendar. It may be that we have simply not come to the place where you recognize it's worth your commitment. And you've come to where churches is simply one of 12 options that you could take on a Sunday. And if things are going well, and I can't say it any better than Brett just did in his, his uh, testimony, uh, testimony a minute ago. If these moons are in alignment, then we'll go. If they're not, we won't. And there absolutely can be a crisis of commitment. And it may... It may be that we simply have to step up our commitment. I was moved by a testimony I heard last week. One of our members, uh, John Thompson, was giving a testimony to uh, the deacons. He had been recently named as a deacon by you. He was giving his life story, and he said, you know, when I was growing up, my father constantly was going out the door to the church. Where are you going, Dad? He's going to a committee meeting, going to a personnel committee meeting, going to a finance committee meeting, going to a deacons meeting. And he would constantly ask, well, Dad, why are you always going to the church and his response, I thought, was powerful. He said, because that's what you do. If you're, a church, if you're a follower of Christ and you belong to the body of Christ, that's what you do. There's no question. So he raised him up with that ethic instilled in him. And, and he himself is attempting to instill that ethic in his own family. And it's visible. It's, it's palpable. You can see it. The truth is, yes, on the one hand, there's a commitment crisis. And some of us need to listen to the, 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 the call of, jo of jo Joshua. When Joshua said, listen, choose you this day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It may be that today you just need to step up the priority and commit. But I... But the commitment crisis is more complex than that. The longer I live and move and groove here among you and raise a family here alongside you, I recognize the same challenges that you recognize. And that is commitment is not an easy topic. 
Because the truth is, I think some of our struggle is not necessarily that we, that we lack the ability to commit, but rather we lack the ability to limit our commitments to a thousand other things. You follow me? It's not that we lack the ability to commit, but we lack the ability to limit our commitments to a thousand other things. We say yes to every possible thing. We say, yes, I'll serve on this board. Yes, I'll be part of that group. Yes, I'll be in charge of that event. Yes, my kids will be there. My kids will play on this team. And yes, we'll go to that tournament. And yes, my kids will, and yes, my, and yes. And we say yes to so many things that there's nothing left for us when the church says, will you? And we are, we, our only answer is to say, no. We say yes to so many other things that we say no to the one thing that matters most. I'm reminded of Mary and Martha, and Martha's in the kitchen, and they're hosting everybody, and Martha has all these things that she has said yes to. Yes, we got to prepare this and, and, and cook that, and we got to clean the other, and we got to set the thing, and we got to... And she's angry because Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she goes to Jesus and says, Seriously? I've said yes to all these things, and she's sitting there with you listening and having a great conversation, but tell her to get up and help. And Jesus said, truthfully, Mary, you have, Martha, you, you have said yes to so many things, but, but, but Mary, if we're being honest, has said yes to the, the only thing that matters. There's only one necessary thing. Everything else falls into place. And so I, I, can't, I can't tell you how, how I understand this because I, my own children are involved in, and have been involved since we've moved here in groups and sports. And, and, and I've heard coaches and I've heard directors and I've heard those in charge of the groups that they've said yes to, that we've let them say. I've heard them give the pitch. You know what they've said? You don't miss a practice. And you don't miss a rehearsal. You get three this whole year. And after that, you, you may lose your position, you may lose your playing position, you may lose your, your, your spot on the whatever, right? And as I listen to that, I think to myself, where have the church coaches gone? Come on. So maybe we need a resurgence of church coaches to say to one another, you don't miss church. You don't miss church. You get here. Because when you get here, something happens here that can't happen anywhere else. And I listen to the words of Dallas Willard, who gives me the advice on how to fit it all in. He says, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Yeah, but I can't say no to this, and I can't cut that thing out because that would be really painful. Yeah, right, ruthlessly Eliminate hurry from your life so that you make space for grace. So that you make space in your life to be able to come and do the one necessary thing. Because, beloved, if I need to be a player coach, I'll be a player coach with you and say, parents, the kids got to be here. The children have to be. That's not a guilt maneuver. Please hear me. Before the health and salvation of your children for the saving of their faith if you want them to have it past 19. They need to be downstairs with our children. Cass Brandon is teaching them scripture and they're memorizing scripture and Beth Irwin is teaching them song. They need to be with our students on Sunday nights where they gather with 
peers where they're able to share burdens and lay down the troubles and the woes of the adolescent years and find courage and strength from each other. Every Sunday they need to be with each other. Every Sunday morning they need to be in Sunday school gathered around the Holy Word so that they can bury it in their hearts that they might not sin against God. And every Sunday they need to be in this room. And in less than one year, they need to be in either this room or the other room. I don't care which. Because when we worship, whether here or there, we are provoking the imagination that they might be able to see a kingdom that exists, that they're being called into, that they live with for the rest of their life. They've got to get here ruthlessly, eliminate hurry from your life. This is a factor that has shaped the frequency of worship attendance. But it's not just a commitment crisis. There's also blended behavior. Blended behavior. This is a new phenomenon, blenders. Do you know what a blender is? And I'm not talking about what you make smoothies in. I'm talking about a blender today is someone who may be a millennial, a young person, and on Tuesdays they may do Young Life. And on Wednesday morning they may do FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Thursday, Friday, they may have a Bible study or a small group. Sunday nights, they may have youth group. So they have so many. These are not folks who are under-spiritual. They're uber-spiritual. But being involved in so many wonderful opportunities means that Sunday morning becomes just one of many options. And I'm here to say I believe completely in all of those options. Man, find something every day of the week you can immerse yourself in. But understand this, not at the expense of your home church. You need a place to be able to point and say, that's my church. That's my home. That's where it happens. And whatever it takes, you get there. Because, beloved, whether it's, it's some club or some group or Bible study or peer network, they're all wonderful. But understand this, they are meant to supplement your spiritual diet, not serve as meal replacements. They are meant to supplement your spiritual diet, not serve as meal replacements. And besides that, when you come here on Sunday mornings, it's not even about you. I'm not even saying, hey, come here, make sure you get here every Sunday because you need what we have here. No. I'm saying because you are what we need here. I'm saying it's because what we say every day in the baptistry, when we, when we raise somebody up in the waters and I say, hey, some days it's going to be dark. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be difficult. But we are here to be strong when you are weak. But we need the same thing from you because we will be weak and we need your strength. So one behavior that has been a factor in frequency is blendedness. But not at the expense of your home church. The final factor, the final frequency factor is what I'm calling online options. Online options are fantastic. The fact is every Sunday... You and I will have watching with us online an average of 60 to 65 devices that are tuned in right now. And these are made up of people who are either uh, stuck at home, can't get out, they're homebound, or they're traveling for work, or they're on vacation, and they can't be with us. Well, you take that 60 to 65 devices that are tuned in, and experts tell us you've got to multiply that times 1.25 because most of the time we watch it with somebody. Sometimes we watch it with the family, with a loved one. So it's more like 75, 80, 85. But by the end of Monday night, what's fascinating and still not quite understood is that by Monday night, the service that you're in right now will, be have, will, will have been watched close to 150 times. 
Give it one full week, and by next Saturday, the average is somewhere between 400 and 500 views of this service. Now, who's watching? I don't know. It may just be uh, mine and Glenn's mothers watching it. <laughs> it may, that may be what it is, watching it again. I don't know. But that is powerful and that is significant. But beloved, please know this. There is one and only one reason that we entered into and are still trying to grow in this uh, growing edge of online connectedness. One and only reason, engagement. So that when you're away and you can't be here, you're able to stay engaged with your church. It's not meant to be a replacement of church if you're able to be here. So I encourage you to use it in every possible way when you're away, watch with your family, watch when you're on a break from working, wherever you're traveling, watch when you're on vacation. But if it's Sunday morning and it's in the middle of the summer and you just stayed out too late on Saturday and you wake up and you say, you know, we could just kind of tune in, get dressed and come. I hear the echo of an old friend of mine right now in my head. I want three things from you. Can, can you hear it? Say it with me. Be here when we're here. Join a small group. Help carry the load, right? If we're here, be here. But these are factors in the frequency with which we attend church. And, and they're, I'm not saying anything negative or positive necessarily about them, that they are unqualified Factors when it comes to the shifting frequency with which people are attending church. It is what it is, and we have to get smart with how we respond to it. But I want you to hear one thing. There is something that happens when we physically gather in this room with one another that can't happen in any other way. There is something that happens here so powerful, it is beyond our ability to completely comprehend it. And the secret is in the text that we just read a moment ago. Here's how it began. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Listen to that first verse. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. What is the confession of our hope? The confession of our hope is that Jesus Christ is Lord. From as early as the first century, that was the very first confession. That's the confession that led them through persecutions, through schisms, through reformations, and that's the confession that will lead us through this ambiguous new era in which the church finds itself. The Lord is Jesus Christ. But when we gather physically in this room every Sunday, in song, in deed, in silence, and in prayer, we affirm that confession that he is Lord. That means regardless of what kind of week you have had, regardless of what kind of trouble is ahead of you in this coming week, we gather in here to remind ourselves that you face nothing in this world that can overcome the power of God's love evidenced in the person of Jesus Christ. We gather in this room to remind ourselves of that sacred confession that we may fight not against flesh and bone, but against powers and principalities, against darkness, against leaders of this current era. But there is one who has the final word in all of our lives. We gather to cling with both hands to the confession of our hope. The next part of the verse says this, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. That's my favorite part of this entire verse. Do you know that when you are here, 
and you recognize someone who goes to church with you, another church member who goes to your church, if you know anything about their story, then you are able to see in them their brokenness, their fear, their trouble, their despair. You're also able to see in them their strength, their perseverance, their confidence, their faith. And seeing that provokes something in you. But don't let it be lost on you that when they see you, your faith provokes something in them. It's powerful when we gather in the same room because we recognize I have struggles, but I'm not the only one. I may have had a rotten week, but when I think about this person and I see him and I know her story, it puts it all into perspective for me. The next verse goes on to say, not neglecting to meet with one another as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Not neglecting to come. Because what the writer is attempting to say is when we gather in the same room, if you can see my brokenness and I see yours, and if I can look and see your fear and you can see mine, even if I look and see your arrogance and pride, And you see mine? If I can see your sin (laughs) and you see mine, then you know what we do in this room? Oh, my. Having recognized in one another our common humanity, our common brokenness, you know what we do? Collectively, we turn our faces together toward the image of the cross and we turn our eyes off of our own brokenness and our own troubles and our own struggles upon the one who has sacrificed for the sake of our salvation. And we're strengthened because of it. But you got to be in the room for that to happen. Because let's not forget how this whole series began. It began in 1 Corinthians six weeks ago with this verse. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And beloved, I just want you to think on this last thought. If you are a part of the body of Christ, and 1 Corinthians says you are. 1 Corinthians says that some of us are hands and we do things in the church. Some of, some of us are feet and we go places and take the good news to the outer realm, the stretches of the world. We, some of us... I'm just making this up now, but our knees, because I know some of you who without ceasing are praying for your church and praying for each other. And you are the knees of the church and some, some are ears and you listen and some are eyes and you are the visionaries. You see the vision of what God is calling us to become in our next era of faith. And some of you are the mouthpieces and the tongue of the Lord and you speak good news. But regardless, <laughs> if when we gather here on worship Sundays and, and, and you're not here, any one of you, we come here dismembered. And if the goal of worship is to be transformed so that the body can be as strong as it can be, conditioned as it can be, to move out into the world as one unit, as one flowing, loving organism of Christ's presence, then when we gather here and we're missing an arm or a leg, 
we cannot fully be the body of Christ. So my takeaway for this message is very simple. Come to church. Amen. Let's pray. God, we recognize in this moment and we confess it in this prayer that this whole conversation about attendance is not about legalism, Lord. It's not about crossing the T's and dotting the I's. It's not about simply behaving. It's about becoming. It's about becoming who you said we could become, your body in this world. Will you move in the soul of somebody today to make a new and renewed commitment to you? We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Lord, and for his sake. Amen.